Welcome to The Waggle, the official podcast of the Canadian Football League. The tie of the game, Boris Beattie. Oh, did he miss that? He did! Oh my goodness! And with 25 seconds left, it looks like this will give the Bombers the victory after all. Welcome, welcome, welcome once again to The Waggle Podcast, brought to you by us here, the CFL and CFL.ca. Myself, Donovan Bennett, and the linebacker, the tech expert, the father, the motivational speaker, Enoch Mwamba, who, I, like, I need to give you some props. I need to give you, like, a bit of a, a virtual hug because you are doing this less than, I would say, what, eight hours from leaving the facility? For those who, who want to know, we were taping this early uh, the night after Enoch played at BMO Field, and he got up uh, nice and early uh, to give you this content after we had Monday Night Football in the CFL. And uh, why don't we, we start with that? If you want recaps of all of the games, you can go to our YouTube channel where you could also get this podcast if you, if you want to see the, the beautiful faces bright and early. But why, why don't we start with, with the game just, just happening? I don't know if it's place kicking karma. You, you you won a game when there was a, a chip shot kick against Montreal that was missed. You lose a game with Boris Beattie missing what would be a chip shot kick to tie the game and put it into overtime. The game you were down for most of the time and you rallied to come back. What are the emotions right now leaving the field, leaving BMO, and now uh, you know rising up and joining us this morning? Man, first of all, good morning. I feel like I haven't slept at all. But um, emotions, as far as the question you asked, uh, Donovan, emotions are high, man. You know, we still got a little, we still got to calm down. We're going into our bye week right now um, as a Toronto Argonauts. And, uh, yeah, obviously when you you play a game the way that we did last night and um, it comes down to, to one point and we don't necessarily win it, Obviously, natural instinct is going to be to point the finger at the kicker. Um, but, you know, we said it multiple times over and over. You know, Boris B, who's our kicker, is a tremendous kicker. Um, if you watched any of our games last year, you know that he was one of the main reasons why we were in most of the games we were in. And, you know, we ended up finishing first in the East. And so uh, for him to miss one field goal, we can't um, – you know, act like he is not a great kicker. And so, um, or PAT for that matter. But at the end of the day, those things matter. Those things count. Um, And you often hear this said, whether it's football or any other sport for that matter, that a lot of the times it comes down to four or five plays within a game. And those are the plays that determine the game itself. And so it wasn't necessarily just the kicking itself. I feel like, you know, we started the game and put ourselves in a hole. And we acknowledged that, you know, leaving the facility, Mac and I had a really long conversation. And he came to me straight up and said, you know, you know what? My fault. I felt like I was forcing some throws a little bit, um, but I felt ourselves getting in a rhythm in the second half. And so um, you know, we had a really good conversation, him, myself, and then Pinball joined us as well. And so, you know, we, we, we feel like we're still in a good place. We never really want to acknowledge moral victories, but at the end of the day, 
the message that I try to give to the guys is progress, not perfection. Because sometimes you tend to try to be perfect so much, which really was what Mac was trying to tell me. And you forget about the part where you need to just progress. Progress as the season continues to advance. And that's what we're trying to focus on as we enter into the bow week. You mentioned Boris. He had a 52-yarder before the half. And he doesn't make that kick. You know, the complexion of the second half in the game probably is different. Those are the first points that get you on the board. He answers with a 42-yarder, a 39-yarder in the fourth to keep you guys within uh, striking distance. So there were a lot of plays, obviously, uh, you know, throughout the game. You know, Brandon Banks had a couple drops. Uh, You know, you talked about Bethel Thompson. Two interceptions in the first quarter. Uh, That's now four on the year. Um, bounced back with a nice second half, 17 of 23, 218, and two TDs in the second half uh, alone. But you, you, you started uh, with this about emotions are high. And we saw, you know, some of the emotions get high on, on the sidelines. What was the feeling coming out of that, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, progressing but 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 not – Maybe letting those emotions be be detrimental. Football is is a sport where everyone's there. Like you can't hide. So when stuff like that happens during a game, like you know, we we, we all uh, see it. And so there's, you know, it, it's tough to you want to keep it real, but it's also tough to to manage that while you're trying to focus on the main thing, and that's like going out and making plays. And again, that's also one of the things that we discussed last night. And obviously, these are things that are team building. Um, these are things that uh, you need to, to face. And once you do, you definitely take a step forward and you mature. It doesn't show up on a stat line. It doesn't show up, um, you know, uh, anywhere else um, on a screen. But these are things that get the team to get together and closer uh, in order to, again, prepare ourselves to progress and get closer and closer to the, the you know, the team that we really want to be. And obviously, disagreements happen. We're a family. We pride ourselves on that. Um, Any team that I've ever been on always says that. And most teams that I've been on, things like this happen. But it's about what happens after these things happen. And so um, it's about managing them. It's about, you know, discussing them. It's about uh, figuring out what really happened and then how do we get forward? How do we go ahead forward? And how do we... um, how do we get into a place where things like that don't happen? How do we communicate better? And so it's a maturity thing. Um, like I said earlier, uh, you know, we feel like we could have played a little bit better. Um, again, it's not about moral victories, but we were in that game. And so it's about really um, the word that I, I know I'm going to discuss mainly with a lot of the guys on the team is mental toughness, right? It's mental toughness. You know, a lot of the times you feel like you're out of a game, you feel like, you know, things are not working out for you. What do you do? The teams that are mentally tough are the ones that can overcome that adversity and come out on top. So you mentioned you talked to McLeod Bethel Thompson, and I suspect the conversation that you had with him would have been different than the conversation I had uh, with him, because I'm not as nice as you, quite frankly. And my favorite Eminem song is No Apologies. Like, I wouldn't want to hear any apologies. You're a veteran. You're the quarterback. This is your team now. We went in the offseason and gave this team to you. 
You know, I mentioned two interceptions in, in the first quarter. That's four on the year, only two TD passes on the year. And one of those TD passes in the game, quite frankly, could have and maybe should have been an interception. And so it's one thing for me, if you are a young quarterback and we have to live through some of the up and down decision-making snaps going all over the place, ill-advised throws, but you're, you're supposed to be a veteran. We're, we're seeing Nathan Rourke and even Trey Ford being much more diligent with the football. So uh, my Twitter fingers were saying it's Chad Kelly time. Like we've seen this show already. Let, show me something else. The season is, is getting late early. I suspect that's not the energy that you came to that conversation with. You know, what is your approach and, and what is the overall vibe in the locker room in terms of, you know, the, the play at quarterback, which to me is the most important position in the sport? No, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, you're right. That definitely wasn't the conversation I had um, with Mac. <laughs> but, Donovan, the thing about Mac is – and that a lot of people don't get to see is the type of person that he is, the type of leader that he is. Yes, we're here to play football, but there's so much preparation that goes into it. And um, I feel like even Chad Kelly, you know, respects him, um, you know, loves him. And I'll tell you what, the whole team is riding behind Mac. Um, he didn't have his best performance last night. He is a vet. Um, but at the end of the day, like I said, a lot of times, what, what I did love, let me say, let me start with this. What I did love with our conversation is that he took responsibility, right? He took responsibility. And I've seen this happen over and over and over again. Mac will take the blame for a lot of things. Now, was he, you know, warranted to take some of the blame last night? Yes, sure. Um, but if you really look at the film, to the guy that's a true football player that's watching film, cutting it down, rewinding, and seeing particular things where maybe there was an offensive line that let his guy loose and he had to rush his throw. Maybe he was hit on a throw, um, right? There, there was a pass that he he, he kind of threw to, to Banks near the sideline, the one that I really remember uh, vividly, and, and, and it kind of bounced off of, of uh, Speedy, and that was intercepted. You know, he took the blame for everything. He never pointed the finger at anyone. And so um, just from that perspective alone, again, it's, it's, he's, he's our guy, you know, he's our guy. And it's within the locker room. There's no one that's doubting that, um, you know, we, we all love Chad Kelly. Chad Kelly brings a lot of energy. Um, you know, he's a guy that's, that's willing to learn, willing to grow. And um, uh, one thing that I'll tell you is that even Chad Kelly believes in, in, in McLeod. So um, we're all excited for McLeod. We know where he can take us. And um, we're excited for him to not just play the best offensive game that he can, um, but for the whole offense to play together as one. Um, and for the two other, you know, sides of the ball to contribute. And uh, I think we, we, I don't think, I know that we are a dangerous team when that happens. Well, I, I think, this team would be at its most dangerous when you're riding defense of yours, when you're riding Andrew Harris, who had a real nice night last night, and you're uh, removing the opportunity uh, to put yourself in bad situations, uh, you know, at the quarterback position. Speaking of the quarterback position and, and the, the opposition, we would be remiss if we didn't give some flowers to Zach Kalaros. He's now 21-2 as a starting QB for the Bombers. One of those losses came in a game that was meaningless. So essentially, he's lost one meaningful game 
in his time there. In that span, 25 TDs, nine interceptions. Uh, is not as elusive uh, as he once was, when a young Argo or uh, a Tiger Cat, but you know, just finds the way to extend drives, extend plays, make plays with his his arms and 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 legs, uh, and ultimately, you know, I think the the place that the Argos are trying to get to, the, the Bombers are there. I don't know if they play great football this year, but they find ways to win uh, rather than than find ways to to lose. You've competed against him for a long time. What can you say about? Uh, the play of Zach, not only last night, but thus far this year. I'll I say this, and, and, and I might even compare perhaps our team with with, with theirs. Um, not to say anything about ours yet, because we haven't proven it yet, but I'll say this. You know, it, it's about the intangibles a lot of the times. It seems, the things that you don't really see, Donovan, like at the end of the day, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers played a game and did well enough to win. But I think that the spirit of their team was really what led them to victory last night, right? Um, they're able to overcome adversity. They're a super mature team. Obviously, winning back-to-back Great Cups helps you in that matter and allows you to have that confidence in your team. And I think that we're still building that, right? We're developing uh, from a maturity standpoint, but also that confidence in one another, right? And, and that's part of my job quite frankly and I, and and I try to kind of talk one on one with some of the guys to find ways to bring energy. Win McManus is a great guy for that kind of stuff. Um uh, specifically on defense and so just kind of building the energy regardless of what the situation might be on the field. Continuing to believe and that's one thing that they did last night as a as a team and you talk about Zach and the success that he's had in Winnipeg. Listen, I'll tell you what, he did a good job. They won the game, but that Winnipeg defense, not just last night, but did a great job. And they continue to do a good job of just giving him one more chance and another time and just giving the ball back to the offense. Whenever you have a team that can do that, and I think I said this even on a very, very first episode, that team is led by their defense and they allow Zach Kolaris to have the ball one more time and Zach, one thing that he will do is he'll extend the drive. He, you, 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 you referred to his elusivity and how he's not like he used to be, but he's a savvy vet that can find a way to extend a drive. And he'll find a way to extend the play. And when he does that, it's so hard on the defense to cover up on your guy. You don't practice to guard for more than six seconds as a defensive player. Now you can do it, but it's extremely hard. And so um, that's one thing that I felt like he did last night very well. And, um, you know, it's just his ability to kind of be confident, um, know that, hey, look, if I can extend the drive, if I can extend the play, it'll give us a good chance to win. Well, you talk about those intangibles at the quarterback position, and we're seeing them at a young age from Nathan Rourke. And he already has you know, the athleticism and the explosiveness that Zach had. Early in his year, we all wanted to see the, the test going up against a veteran defensive coordinator uh, in, in Mike Benavides leading the Ottawa Red Blacks defense, who's played well on the road, short week. You know, let's see if you're really real. And it, it wasn't perfect uh, for the 24 year old. Uh, had two INTs, his first interception, his career came on his 91st pass attempt, so he's taking care of the ball. But but 
two interceptions in the span of five passes. And it's like, okay, well, let's see how he bounces back from the first real adversity of his career. Uh, all he does after throwing uh, that second interception, go 10 of 11, 90.9 completion percentage, 208 yards, a TD, and two more carries for 26 yards. I think I learned more about him in a quote-unquote down game where he threw for 359. People were like, oh, he wasn't so good this week. Yeah, he threw for 359 and, and had two TDs and a rushing TD. And that's his down game. I'll take that. I think I learned about him, more about him in that spot than maybe I learned uh, in, you know, his his previous, um, you know, games. And, and maybe his biggest play was a tackle on, on Money Hunter, who all he, he's doing is creating turnovers, um, just to stop that from, from being a, a pick six. Are, are are you now starting to get, you know, a little bit more faith in the Nathan Rourke experience? You know what? Uh, I think that Nathan is an is an amazing quarterback. I think that their offense, their offensive staff, does an amazing job of keeping things simple, right? Um, and what he's doing is going out there and execute. I said this multiple times already since we've been talking about the Canadian. Kid, what, what did you dub him again? What was what's the name that you gave him? The, the Great White Canadian Hope. The Great White Hope, right? He does an amazing job. And 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 Donovan, I've never seen anything like it. This kid releases the ball in 2.4 seconds on average, right? He gets rid of the ball. Why? Because they are doing things, keeping things simple, right? He's got one read on the same side of the ball, on the same side of the field, one read, second read check down and his receivers are making plays for him now when you got a guy like money hunter and everybody else on the defensive side of the ball that are playing them tight and they're kind of starting to catch up to the defense of the offensive scheme right one of the biggest things that you got to look at that's a sign of a great team is their ability to morph into the best version of themselves as the season progresses and so i'm excited to see kind of how they'll progress how they're going to evolve um in that morphing process because at some point or another um they're going to have to change up their mentality their scheme and start to let them really sling that rock and so um i don't necessarily think that he showed anything new for me um i think that's pretty much what i've been seeing what we've been seeing out of him and i'll tell you what it sounds like I'm I'm not raving about the kid. I think he's doing an amazing job. And even speaking to him, I remember after the game, man, you can just sense the maturity level that is through the roof. You can sense the leadership behind it. We, I mean, we spoke for literally three minutes after the game, and you can tell what kind of player he is. Again, I said this before, this kid is going to be probably at the top of this league at some point or another if he continues to develop the way that he is. Um the ceiling is is definitely high, but he's definitely not there yet. And so the thing is, teams got to take advantage now before he reaches that peak. I thought you were going to go Michael Jordan on us. The ceiling uh, is the roof. <laughs> you know what? It, what's impressed me about, you know, that staff, you talked about it offensively, is, you know, they've lost uh, some guys on that offense early. You know, Burnham, you, you know, was knocked out of the game when – BC was facing the Argos, and then this next man up, you know, Keon Hatcher last year in seven games had 224 yards. It's a nice little splash. You know, this week, seven targets, seven catches, 166, and a score 
You know, they've found ways to continue to make plays, which I expected to say about the Ottawa Redblacks. You know, I think the last two years, they had by far the worst personnel in terms of who was in their quarterback room, the receivers running routes for them. They've rectified that in free agency. And Paul Apolise was brought in to fix the offense, and it doesn't look fixed. Masoli this week, 13 of 26 for 159, did have a rush TD. But, you know, that, that, that defense is playing well enough to win games. For me, it's the offense that's letting them down. You know Coach Lapolis well. What do they got to do in the nation's capital to, to get that offense moving? I think Coach Lapolis is um, – he's got to figure it out, right? I think they've been pretty sporadic. Now they gave Winnipeg a run for their money twice. You know, no, those don't count. You know, almost the do not count. The almost don't count. And so they got to figure it out offensively. And maybe it means taking a page out of the, the BC Lions playbook and simplifying things a little bit. But at the end of the day is that defense you mentioned, they're playing really well defensively speaking. But let's give also credit to the BC Lions defense, right? Ryan Phillips, RP out there. Um, you know, who's, who's a fairly new defensive quarter. He's doing an amazing job. He has surrounded himself with great guys, including a guy I played with who we know very well, John Bowman. They're doing a really good job of playing defense over there in BC. And so they gave it everything they had to Mazzoli and the squad on offense over there. They made it difficult for him. At the end of the day, I think, offensively speaking, Lapo needs to just relax a little bit, simplify things. And Mazzoli is a guy that can hurt you with just the simple things. And I talk with I talk with my you know my, my coaches quite a bit, Coach Mason in particular. And that's one of the things that he keeps saying. He always says, you know what, God, Enoch, always when you think about a team, a lot of the times coaches get in the way because they want to outsmart the other guy or and what ends up happening is they end up outsmarting themselves because they try to do too much. And I think that's one of the cases that's uh, that's one of the case that's going on out there in Ottawa with La Police. And don't get me wrong, Lapo, he's got an expend, an extensive playbook that when he gets rolling, things can get very difficult with, you know, for from a defensive perspective. And I kind of saw that even in Montreal and last night when we played against BC where Buck Pierce was kind of opening up the playbook and having all these, you know, misdirection plays that weren't necessarily working the whole time. But those are some of the things that Coach Lapo has in his back pocket. And sooner or later, we're going to see it happen. But I think the answer, the solution, if I were to answer your, your question very quickly, it's just simplifying things because you got guys that can play on offense over there. And most importantly, you got a guy in Mazzoli that knows how to win. Now's the time to let him know, to raise your voice and raise your game for glory, for your city, for your turn. CFL, let him know. Well, things couldn't be more simple offensively than what we saw in Edmund, by Edmonton in Hamilton for Trey Ford as he makes his first start, gets a win on Canada Day in Tim Hortons Field. It becomes the first, uh, you know, former U Sports or CIS or CIAU, depending on your age, uh, QB to start and win a regular season game since Greg Vavra did it 
um, you know, heck, right, a winner for Calgary that did it in 85. You know, in terms of my recollection, you know, becomes the first black U Sports QB to ever win a game uh, as a starter in the CFL. Uh, not sure, though, if Edmonton won the game or if Hamilton lost the game. Because Hamilton was up 22 to 9 at one point. Uh, you know, and, and then Edmonton goes on a run 22 to 3 the rest of the way. For me, if you are up that big against a team specifically who hasn't proven that they can move the ball on you offensively, at that point, you're no longer playing that team. You're playing the clock. The job at that point, not to, to be too conservative, but it's to manage the game and to get out of the game. And we didn't see that uh, with the turnovers for Hamilton in a very similar way that they lost uh, to Calgary. Um, with, with some ill-advised uh, turnovers. What did you make of, of what we saw from, from Tim Hortons? I'll, I'll tell you what I was impressed with, but I, I want your first read on, on what we saw from from the young QB and, and you know, what we saw from the anointed uh, QB in Hamilton and a team that is struggling uh, to get their first win. Let me start with this. Hamilton lost the game. And there is, I mean, you saw the crumble now. There was, my cheeks was, were rising. My teeth started to show <laughs> as I was watching that happening in front of me. And I'll always love that sight. But that's the fact of the matter. At the end of the day, DB, you, you got to come out with a W in that situation. You have to. All you got to do is run down the clock and the game is over. And you go ahead and fumble the ball, scoop and score, game over. Come on. Right. That's that's they know it. And if you watch the game, you see at the end of the game, Dane took responsibility, obviously. And, you know, he was pretty much sitting there, couldn't believe it. And I, he probably still can't believe it to this day. Um, you know, the best thing that could happen is play another game at this point. But man, oh, man, it's a tough way to lose. I mean, there are tough losses, but you had the game in your hand. And the worst part about it is you just had a crumble the previous week now looking ahead on the other side of the ball with Trey for I mean he didn't necessarily look completely ready they tried to simplify things for him at all as well but you can see the difference between Nathan and Trey now granted Nathan had a little bit of a you know he got his feet wet last year coming in and stepping in for Michael Riley at times and and those little bit of end of game situations where you kind of get the, to feel the rock and see a defense and understand the flow of the game. People don't understand how valuable those are. They're extremely valuable. And I think that Nathan really took advantage of those last year and obviously has transitioned extremely well as the start of this season has uh, began. But when you look at trade, that's exactly what it is. I think that he has potential, but he's relying on his legs. And at the end of the day, we want to see him stay in the pocket, look at a defense, read, and throw the ball with confidence. And that's kind of lacked a little bit. And that's where you kind of see the difference between the two quarterbacks. And, um, you know, it's just going to come with more experience. It's going to come with more time. And the potential is there, right? The potential is there. Now you got a guy in Chris Jones who really believes, and he's always given opportunities to guys that you never really thought he would give an opportunity to. And so Trey is in the best place that he could be if, you know, Coach Jones continues to have confidence in him to go with him forward.
So I'll give you what I liked about Trey first. Start with the positive. He, the moment didn't seem too big for him. Remember, this is a kid who played at university football at the University of Waterloo. So that means no national TV games. That means the biggest crowd he would have played in front of would be homecoming at Western or Guelph or Queens, right? We're talking about 10, 12,000. His first start on TSN, on Canada Day, in Tim Horn's field, with the panel on the side of the field. And it, it didn't seem too big for him. And he's a bit of an old soul, right? Like it might as well be Warren Moon walking around in that Edmonton uniform as a black QB because, you know, he, he, he's not like super hyper extra. So, so I, I love the fact that they're down. If you thought at 22 to 9, one QB was, was going to force things and fold, you thought it would be Trey Ford and not Dane Evans. So, so I love the fact that, um, you know, he, he didn't get too over his skis. Uh, you also saw that the athleticism is real and that it plays because there were many uh, Hamilton defenders, <clears throat> Simone Lawrence, who had leverage and who had angles and who he left and outran that, that leverage. So the athleticism certainly plays at this level and is real. Now, what I'm not sure plays at this level is the formula. And I was talking to a coach about this, and he said, listen, the formula for him is going to be very simple. Because they haven't even really, when, when you look at it, built in much QB run game into what they're doing. They haven't really changed things and catered it around him. So the formula for him is going to be, can you give us 50 to 80 on the ground, can you throw for 150 to 200, take care of the football, and trust our defense? You know Chris Jones' defense. They're not just trying to get off the field. They're trying to score themselves. So can we get juiced up with some, as you saw, scooping scores and some explosive plays, give you a short field? And can we just manage enough offense to get out and, and, and win games? My thing is, I don't know if you can do that like week over week over week for three months. I don't know if you can continually to do that with the margins that are so slim and be able to, to beat teams three, four times. And so that, that's the experiment. It's one thing in the NFL when you have Lamar Jackson and you have four downs, right? I think the calculus is a little bit different. In the CFL, I just don't know if you can do that without eventually, whether it's Tracy Ham or Damon Allen or Ricky Foggy or Casey Printers, beating people from the pocket and then – your legs are an accessory to what you can do. So, so, so that um, is much to be seen. And oh boy, Hamilton uh, started on four. Uh, that's the first time he started on four since 2017 when they went 0 and 8. They had some wholesale changes after that. No Ticats team has ever made the playoffs after starting the season with four straight losses. The numbers aren't good. You know, points per game 19.5, yards per game. 314, uh, pass yards allowed, 271. They're, they're not playing well on either side. But they have played a well to win some of these games. They just haven't been able to close the deal. I, I think what has saved them is that just across the board, the, the division hasn't really run away from them at this point. 11-1, uh, the West is against the East which you all are making me look like a fool because I was out here in the offseason talking about the East is back. Uh, but it, you mentioned the, the, the bye week coming. You guys have a bye week off the loss. But it's a bit different. You're traveling to touchdown Atlantic. You know, you're going to be out there for quite some time, you know, preaching the gospel of the game. So, so you get it. it. Hamilton has a 
another bye week off of a loss. If if it was me, I want to play right away. There's only three games this week. I, I, I would struggle with a bye week now because it, it, it's only bad vibes in that uh, facility. You want to you change that narrative. Is that fair or do you want more time to get right and maybe for, for the front office, more time to get some people out of town? There's, there's two different ways to look at it. As a player, you hate it. As a player, you want to get back on the field and you want to play and right your wrongs. That's the bottom line. But as a coach, these bye weeks can be extremely dangerous if you use them properly, right? And again, it's a balance between, okay, am I doing too much by adding these particular plays or am I not doing enough? So now you got to think about, okay, well, am I going to just harp on the things that we've been doing so that we can do it even better at the highest level that we can? Or am I going to add these particular plays? Now, for a team like Edmonton, obviously, they're not going into bye week yet. But one of the things that I think I'll add as well, DB, is that I don't know if they're fully committed to Trey yet, right? And and if they have, they have to use the skill that he has that is the best. And you mentioned, you talked about his his running ability and his speed and his ability to leave guys and how he can – you know, he's comfortably moving around and, and buying himself some time. And we saw Zach do it last night. That's not necessarily how you want to see it happen. But I think that they have to make him a true legitimate dual threat. By that, I mean, listen, let's have some QB powers. And let's 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 have ways and use misdirection plays to where, you know, he has to be accounted for by the defense. And I'll tell you that right now, whenever you have a running quarterback, you never account for him running as a defense. You never have the ability to say, okay, well, you are looking for him and you're 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 matching up with him. You you just can't afford to do that. And so I don't know if that's something that they're going to do going forward, seeing the kind of game that you had that he had, and you you talk about his ability to stay level headed all game. I really actually liked what you said and I like what I watched as well from from his part. Um and that's one of the things speaking with Coach Burt, who was a former coach of mine, but his um, head coach out in, in in Waterloo said about him, too, he's a guy that's always even keel. He's a great leader. And you saw him even when he was speaking, the interviews that he was giving, taking responsibility. That's a sign of great leadership. Now, if Edmonton is willing to commit to him, they got a place that they can go. And, and one of the things that I also believe out there in, in, in Edmonton that Chris Jones is doing it. He's just trying to find the right formula. If you look, you really look at the roster, there's been so many changes up and down from week one till the past week. How many changes you've seen is unbelievable. And he's definitely had the most changes, regardless of the amount of wins that they've had. He is trying to find the right formula, including on defense, changing guys left and right to find the right formula. And the word is coming out of Edmonton is that they're really just trying to find out what their best team that they can put on the field is. I mean, you had Deion Lacey who had 11 tackles the previous game and did not play this last, this past game. You know, it doesn't really make sense when you look at it, but I've always said Chris Jones is a mad scientist and he's got a method to his madness and he's making it go right now. And, and, and what it looks like, is that he's just trying to find the best team that he could put on the field and make sure that when it comes time to play playoffs, 
Hopefully he can sneak in there. And once he gets into the playoffs, anything can go. And then again, to your point, the East is not doing as great. So they have an opportunity, a possibility of crossing over even. And so I'm sure he's got his eyes set on that. Well, you mentioned not accounting for the quarterback as a runner. Maybe it's too simplistic for me, but I'm watching this and I'm thinking as a coordinator, I'm putting eight in the box. I am finding Drill Walker and I'm pressing it at the line of scrimmage, giving some safety help over top. And listen, if you want to go to Manny Arsenal 20 times in one-on-one coverage and that's how you're going to beat me, fine. And, and he's a nice comeback story, but he was also sitting on the couch last year. And I'm going to make Trey Ford routinely throw the ball through hands. You can't If you can't get there and get home, get those hands up and bat balls down and make him beat me and take essentially that running game and James Wilder Jr. when he's healthy out of the game because it's a stacked box and you don't have favorable run looks and make him a sixth offensive lineman. And if you can beat me that way for four quarters, God bless you. But I, I don't think that they can. Is that too simplistic? Am I, am I missing something? Listen, we've seen now more than ever before. This has always been preached. Keep things simple and stick to the game plan. BC is doing just that. I mean, slants, slants, slants to Burnham, to Hatcher, to uh, Lucky and the other guys and the crew, uh, Katoy. And then once it comes time, the opportunity will come, slant and go. It's as simple as that. And he's been he's being obviously out there extremely efficient and accurate when it comes to the short and intermediate throws, which is what has given allowed, you know, for them to have the success that they've had. The ability to do that as well in Edmonton relies and starts with the coaching staff, offensively speaking. And you've heard me multiple times, Donovan, give praise to the BC Lions coaching staff. And it's just, again, you don't want to get in your own way. Come back and be simple. And for a guy like Trey, what I would do, if this is what is going to be your game plan, defensively speaking, I'm moving the pocket. I'm, 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 I'm going left. I'm going right. I'm allowing him to throw on the run. I'm allowing him to, um, you know, have, again, some running plays, designed running plays. Right now, it seems to me like they're still running the same offense that Nick Arbuckle was running, and they're letting a guy like Trey Ford who, again, we just acknowledge that he's not necessarily ready to run yet. But I think that if they can mold an offense that is designed specifically for him, that they will have a lot more success that they're having, especially with him. But the question, again, is have they committed fully to Trey Ford? Because if they have, then to me, you change the offense slightly and you make it fit his skill set and they'll see the success that they want to have. Yeah, I think the difference in the calculus for Rourke and Ford is the accuracy. Rourke is an 80% completion guy. Even if that reverts back to the mean at 70, you know, you're still staying on schedule offensively. Trey is a 50% completion guy. And even if he improves to 60, you know, that uh, that's just a, a, a different calculus in terms of offensive football. Speaking of offensive football, Saskatchewan with the beatdown on Montreal. And when you look at the score, 41-20, it looks like, you know, they took them out to the woodshed. But really, in, in the rematch, uh, obviously, Saskatchewan getting some revenge after losing, you know, the first of the home and home against Montreal. It was all about one quarter. And, and I believe you can't win a football game in a quarter. 
But I think you can certainly lose one, if that makes sense. And when you look at the third quarter coming out of the locker room, Saskatchewan kept things simple and kept putting points on the board. 21 points, 14 first downs, 132 passing yards, 88 rushing yards, zero turnovers in the third. Montreal, zero points, one first down, 18 pass yards, three rush yards, and a turnover in the third. Is it too simple of me to say that Saskatchewan just came out of the locker room, adjusted better, and won the game in that third quarter? Uh, no, it's not simple. I mean, it's extremely difficult to beat a team back-to-back weeks. It's tough. It's difficult. You know their tendencies. You kind of know what's coming. Um, as much as you can change and add plays, you can never really diverge from who you truly are. And so I think Saskatchewan did a great job of coming back and executing um, specifically in that third quarter, obviously, you know, you got a guy like Chandler Worthy, who's one of my favorite guys in the CF, one of my favorite guys in the CFL, did an amazing job. And he's really giving him a chance to stay in games um, if he continues to play like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, you got to pr- produce offensively um, for Montreal. And, you know, we go back to that conversation and the saga continues. What is going to happen at that position? at the quarterback position specifically. And and I think that Kari Jones and everybody in management and everyone in the city really of Montreal now um, is looking there and saying, okay, what are we doing? Where are we going? Who are we going to? And um, how do we continue to win games? Now, Kahari made it, made it tough on himself by, you know, making the change that he has and whether it was him or, you know, um, told to, to him to do it, for management is a whole another story, but making that change now brings all the attention in the world at that position. Are you willing to continue to commit to Trevor Harris, who didn't necessarily have his best game? And to me, if I were to answer that question, I'd stick with the guy that I have because, again, I don't want to have a quarterback out there that continues to look over his shoulder and every throw he has to second guess himself and think to himself, hey, look, if I make this throw, Am I getting pulled? If I make this throw, is it going to cost me my job for next game? And so, man, they they put themselves in predicament out there in Montreal. And not that I'm hating it all at all, but they got to get production on the offense if they they want to find themselves in the winning column. Well, they won't find themselves in the winning column this week as they're on a bye. Most of the East is on a bye. Ottawa, the only East team in action this week. Uh, three games this week. And and you talked about uh, that struggle of facing a team back-to-back weeks. Well, after your bye with Touchdown Atlantic, you get it. You get Saskatchewan back-to-back weeks. Uh, So a a tough challenge uh, moving forward. Let's break down what we do have in terms of the games and the storylines this upcoming week. No Monday night football this week. No Sunday football this week. But we're starting on Thursday. Calgary goes to Edmonton. Uh, the Battle of Alberta. The Elks badly need a home win. Um, and then we've obviously got the undefeated Stamps. Uh, what are you looking for in that matchup? I'm looking for the offense to morph into a more uh, Trey Ford friendly offense for Edmonton. And if they want to have a chance to beat the unbeaten out of the West, the stamps, they're going to have to do just that, especially if they're still going to have him starting over there. I think it's unfair for him to be out there and run an offense 
that doesn't necessarily feature his most uh, his his best skills. And so, if they can do that, they'll give themselves a chance. And obviously, you want to see the con- the consistency from Bo Levi Mitchell. I mean, I'll tell you what: the Stamp Theaters are licking their chops because they're telling themselves, "Man, these guys over there don't know what they're doing. They keep changing quarterbacks. They got this young guy coming in." Let's go out there. Let's execute. And we are going to find ourselves with another win out of the West and put ourselves in a better situation for uh, for playoffs time. But it'll be a tough challenge for Trey. I'm looking for him to rise to the occasion. Well, we've got Ottawa and Saskatchewan following that up on Friday. Ottawa might be much better than their own three record, but the fact of the matter is their own three looking to not go to 0-4. If they do, that would set up in week six a battle of the 0-4 teams as they would play Hamilton. Hamilton has already been in a somebody's got to win match uh, and they lost to Edmonton. So we'll see if they can get their first win. But before that, Ottawa goes to Saskatchewan. William Powell back in Regina. Uh, what are you intrigued about in terms of that matchup? Man, like you said, Ottawa is a much better team than the record show. They're an 0-3. They're probably the best 0-3 team you'll see. And so they just got to convert good play into wins. And this is an opportunity to do so. Not an easy opponent in Saskatchewan, but it's something that can be done. Um, I think that, again, if Coach Lapo simplify things out there in Ottawa, they'll give themselves a really good chance. Um, the challenge is going to be brought to them by a team in, 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 in the riders. But at the end of the day, if they're able to execute and they're able to kind of, like I said, simplify things for Mazzoli, they'll give themselves a chance. Winnipeg and BC is the marquee. Last game of the week. The, for me, top two teams in the CFL, both undefeated. You've got you know Zach Claros, who has the conch as that top QB in the league, and Nathan Rourke trying to be the heir apparent. Uh, we've said, you know, BC has done some things with smoke and mirrors and Winnipeg hasn't played their best football. None of that matters. We'll see who's really real in a litmus test on Saturday. I'm excited for that one. Uh, what is getting you excited about that matchup? I need to ask, first of all, where is that game being played? It is in BC. In BC. That's really good for Nathan. Now he gets to be in a familiar place. He gets to be somewhere where he's done, you know, things correctly, and he can go ahead and be efficient, Nathan, as he's been, right? Now you got a guy in Willie J who doesn't allow for quick games. He's one of the few guys, when you watch games, he did it even last night, when he sees a quarterback take a three-step drop like Nathan likes to do and just wants to throw that quick slant, Willie J, all six seven, six 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 seven of them, will stand out there and expand his wingspan and make it hard and make it a tough throw. And that's the biggest thing with BC, right? They really render each defensive line really useless by having this quick game be so efficient and accurate by the play of their quarterback and the play calling as well on offense. And so BC, if they are able to do that and execute very well, and continue to find the success that they've been having over the past by just continuing to check down the ball to Butler and Butler making things happen. If they continue to stay on schedule after first downs and put themselves in second and manageable, they'll give themselves a chance. But I know that this is probably going to be Nathan's biggest challenge as, right, 
the Winnipeg Blue Bombers defense, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers D-line in particular, um, do a really good job of understanding, like I said, whenever it's quick game, okay, we're going to be right there. But they also got some DBs that have a lot of um, confidence that they can play up tight and up close to these receivers. It's going to be a great matchup. And I want to see, I really want to see Nathan play from behind, which most likely may happen this week. Man, oh, man, we're going to find out when we come back here the uh, next week and talk about this game. I'll tell you what, then and then we will figure out, okay, is this guy real or is it still, he's still got some room to grow. But it's going to be an exciting game. Um, I'm definitely going to be tuning in for sure. Well, one of the quirks of the CFL schedule is BC doesn't travel to Winnipeg until week 21, a game where either nothing could matter at that point or everything could matter at that point. For all the so, marbles. Uh, yeah, so we'll see. I mean, uh, you, you, you talk about Willie Jefferson. Let's not forget you've got Jeff Coat on the other side. And so all of this QB sweep and short yardage, you know, getting the edge, turning up field, outrunning angles, that's been cute, you know, these previous weeks. That, that might not play – uh, against that Winnipeg uh, tandem of, of DNs. And, and the point that you've made routinely about the fact that essentially he's just being asked to read one side of the field. If Adam Big Hill has any cues based off of formation, based off a of situation, and he can just turn his hips and go uh, to one sideline or the other, that, that might be a problem. So fascinated to see. I'll, t- I'll tell you what. As, as simple as they make their offense, the other thing that comes into play for a middle linebacker, whether it's a biggie or anybody else for that matter, right? You can't just turn and run and help out the receiver, right? Because you got to worry about number 24 coming out of the backfield. Butler, when he gets the ball and it's a, he can just get a check down, a three yard check down, he turns those into first downs, right? It's almost like a running play and he ends up, making it into a first down. And so Biggie can't necessarily go and help right away. But at the same time, um, again, it comes back to the simplicity that makes them so successful because of the accuracy, efficiency. And I'll say another thing about his throws, the velocity of the mm. balls that uh, Nathan continues to throw. So um, it's going to be a really good game. I'm excited to watch it. As am I. And I'm excited to break it down with you after the fact right here on this very podcast. Hope you come back. Uh, Reminder, everyone, to share, like, subscribe. Tell us what you want to hear, what you want to see, who you want to hear from. And for those who love defense, don't worry. Enoch's got the Rolodex. He's going to be giving us some defensive guests as we've been pretty offense heavy uh, for the first month of the season. But it's been a great start to the season. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 